Good morning. Oh, and there was that line again. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. I love that. That almost, that just makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Lord Jesus, you make darkness tremble. Amen. Well, we're going to be back in the gospel according to John, from which Tyler just uh, graciously led us. And so if you would turn there. Tyler George is our Aletheia leader, and we're grateful to have him on our staff. He's a well-trained young man, godly, and I appreciate him very much. If you've not gotten to know him, I hope you'll take time to know Tyler and those others that are involved in our staff that you may not know as well. Just before we get going, um, we'll look at our prayer list, but I want to make an addendum to the Caleb's Kin announcement. I don't care if you're 55 or not. <laughs> I love it, and, and it is consistent with the mission and philosophy of this ministry that we encourage transgenerational ministry. You should know what that means by now. It's been preached and taught. But in case you're new to that term, it means that we need each other, no matter what age we are. And you're welcome to come. Just make sure you call the office so that we can uh, reserve a lunch for you. If you don't want to eat lunch, you're welcome to just show up anyway and sit at the table with a lot of great seniors and uh, enjoy the fellowship and the time of inspiration and music. So, Also want to let you know that it didn't make it into the bulletin this week because I forgot to uh, push send on a message. Uh, But there is going to be another introduction to to Hebrew class, Aleph to Tal, which are the first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. That's going to be beginning on Thursday, August 5th from 6.30 to 8, once again in the Crossway classroom, which is the Old South Nursery. So it'll be in there from 6.30 to 8. More details will be forthcoming in the bulletin and online, but look for that. And there have been many people who have asked and shown interest in a continuation in, in uh, Hebrew and uh, did not get a chance to take it the first time around. This is the same class taught again. All right, let's go to our prayer list. And... There are no additions, but I do want to give a couple updates. Bill Hoosier was sent to Worcester Community Hospital from the Apostolic Home with pneumonia and congestive heart failure, and they found considerable blockage. What he really needed was a bypass surgery. They couldn't give it to him because it would have put him under entirely too much stress, so they thought a stent or two might work, but he's unable to tolerate that as well. So they have uh, cleaned him up and they're going to be moving him into progressive care unit and from there uh, he'll be able to go back to the apostolic home. But please be praying for the family in this transition. Marge Huffman is uh, experiencing terrible pain with shingles and in her legs. Please pray for Marge Huffman. So those are the two big updates 
that I wanted to give you on our prayer list today. Of course, all of these on here are relevant, and we hope you're praying each week and that you're signed up for the bi-weekly prayer list as well as the emergency prayer network and signed up for a variety of other prayer ministries. Prayer is the heartbeat of this church. It is the lifeblood that keeps us going. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful to come together once again in the mighty name of Jesus Christ who makes the darkness tremble. He helps us to recognize the lies of this world system, of the enemy, of our souls, and of our very flesh that cry out against you in rebellion. Lord God, part of our sinful fallen human nature is an ongoing struggle with illness and struggle with violence around the world and varieties of other needs and conflicts. We come to you for the sake of all of these on our prayer list that your Holy Spirit would advocate for them and move in their lives and share the light and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ into their dark places and sadness and in their pain. We pray for Bill and Yvonne and Greg as they move on from Colleen's death and then also Bill's severe illness. We entrust them into your good care and thank you for your sovereign grace. And we pray for our sister Marge. We pray that you would relieve her suffering through these shingles and the terrible leg pain that she has. We pray that you'd give some answers and some relief and some healing in these areas. Lord, we pray for those in the nursing homes and that are, that are struggling and going through transitions in their lives, those that are recovering from surgeries or going into surgeries. We pray, Father, for those that are bereaved of loved ones and for our missionaries all around the world and for the Haven of Rest Ministries that we heard from last week. Bless them as they care for so many needy people in the northeastern Ohio and Akron areas specifically in the heat of summer. We entrust them into your care. We thank you, Father. Pray now that you would open our hearts and minds to receive the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and makes it tremble, the song reminds us, and the darkness has not overcome it. I think I'm going to wear that line out. Sorry. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. In other words, John was a major reflector. We're going to be speaking about reflecting the source of light today. John the Baptist was a reflector. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all, oh, what a gracious verse this is, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Amen. Last week, we looked into God's word to learn of the simple, stark contrast between light and dark. We learned that darkness is most often used to describe the hearts and lives of those who walk in rebellion against God, and that true light comes from God because he is light. We also clearly learn from scripture that God's light becomes my, your source of light and life, and that his light and life are supremely revealed in who? Anybody but Robin. (laughs) Robin, you can lead him again. Who is it, Robin? It's Jesus. Let's say his name together. The light of God is supremely revealed in in Jesus. Thank you. Let's keep it simple. Because we like to complicate things, don't we? Oh, we love to complicate things with our systems. We get lost in all sorts of little isms and methods and programs. The source of light and life is Jesus, period. I challenged you last week to personally and within small groups, and once again, if you're not a part of a small group, I highly encourage you to sign up for those, speak to someone about getting involved in a small group. I wanted you to meditate upon and discuss where we are tempted to seek light elsewhere, somewhere other than in Jesus, and to assess those other pursuits with an honest heart and mind. Where is this so-called source of light taking me? What does it do in my spirit? How does it affect the way I see the world, myself, other people? God's kingdom purposes in my life. If we're looking to sources of light other than in Christ, I can guarantee you they're not ultimately glorifying to God because God does not choose to glorify himself except through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ then, in his light and life within us, is what then brings glory to God. Today, we'll study God's word to discover and apply the truth that we are created and we are called to reflect the source of light and life found only in Jesus Christ. Now, in relation to this creation and calling, let's look briefly to a beautiful divine appointment in scriptures given in the fourth chapter of John's gospel. So if you still have your Bible open to John 1, flip over to John chapter 4, and I'm going to just turn in my Bible with you to give you time We're not going to be reading all of the passages of Scripture today, but as I am wont to do, I will make most of my commentary through Scripture rather than my own personal ideas. Now, this is the story of the Samaritan woman. It's a great story. It's a wonderful account. If you've not read it, I encourage you to read it. If it's been a while, get into it and rejoice in it. I I believe that it is absolutely one of my favorite accounts in the scriptures. Jesus was on his way from the north down, 
And, he, and it says in scripture he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to. He could have, like other Jewish people, skirt around Samaria because the Samaritans were cursed according to the Jews. They were half-breeds. They were, they were loathed by the Jewish people. And that relationship was mutual. And so most Jews went around Samaria. They wouldn't go through it. Jesus went through. And we soon find out the reason for it is he had a divine appointment because he is God. And he wanted to meet this woman. And so she comes out in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, when nobody else comes to the well. Why? Because it's so hot. They would come early in the morning or late at night to get their water. Why was this woman coming by herself in the middle, in the heat of the day? She did not want to be seen or confronted. We learn from this passage of scripture, I believe, that she was a pariah in this society, in this little town of Sychar, because she was basically known as a harlot. And in this confrontation with Jesus, they get involved in a spiritual discussion about worship, and Jesus confronts her with who he is and what he knows about her, and it is absolutely an astounding, life-changing conversation. This woman was dead. Now, she was physically alive, but in modern-day language, she was a zombie, She was dead in her sin, she was broken, she was unfulfilled, she was isolated, she was lonely, she was looking for fulfillment, she was looking for real life. How many of us have felt or today feel that way? You might even name the name of Christ and yet you feel unfulfilled. You feel kind of empty. You're carrying around an extra weight. There's a heaviness to life that is not intended, and you know it. And for those of you who've never called on Christ in saving faith, you certainly feel this way. There's a longing inside of you that cannot be satisfied, and you have tried filling it in every different way you could think of, and it's not working. Let's be honest. It's not working. And so we all come eventually to the well. And we are confronted by Jesus. Whether we comprehend it and receive it is one thing. But we are here either at home watching this or in this room and we are hearing this truth. We are being confronted with this truth. The light and the life of Jesus flooded into this woman's life. Flooded in. It's like the the curtains were thrown back. The windows were, were swung open. The doors were swung open. And pure blinding light came flowing into her heart and her mind. And she was known. And it was a shameful thing for her. And yet, while she was in this encounter flooded by the light of Christ, revealed in her sinfulness. She was also freed from her sinfulness. And here is the good news, bad news of the gospel. You cannot be free 
until you are confronted by and deal with the darkness and the death of your sin. We cannot receive light and life until we recognize that we are living in darkness and in death. That is absolutely essential to the gospel truth. It is unpopular, but a lot of things that doctors prescribe are unpopular. And we won't get into that. But we go to them and we say, yes, sir, oh, yes, thank you, doc. And we take the medicine or we go through the procedure. How much more so for our spiritual state, which will lead us either to life eternal or to death and damnation. So upon encountering him, this light floods in, exposes her sin, frees her from her sin. And then I want you to look at the beautiful result. Look at the end of this in uh, verses 28 through 30. Chapter four, the, towards the end of this account, in 28, so the woman left her water jar, went away into town, and said to the people, what did she say? Come, see. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And then verses 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days in this cursed land of Samaria. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. The savior of the world. Herein is the main point of this message today. Beautifully illustrated in this account. This true account. The light of God in Jesus Christ brings life. Life which we then who receive it are compelled to share with others. That's the main point of this. The life and the light of Jesus Christ as it comes into our lives as we receive him by repentance and faith turns itself around and we reflect it out. We are compelled to do so. We cannot help but do so if we truly have the light and the life inside of us. Now, if we must share light and life, then first possess it. And we've made a strong point towards that, but let's look at our first major point. Jesus, our source of light and life for this world and the next. His own testimony, by his own testimony in John chapter eight, verse 12, are these familiar words. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then we see by the testimony of scriptural theology, scriptural doctrine, teaching about God, in Hebrews 1, verse 3, he is the radiance, speaking of Jesus, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature 
and he upholds the universe by the word of his power and making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why did he sit down? Because he was finished with his work. He was finished with his redemptive or buyback work. Jesus came into the world to seek and to save. He came to fulfill a mission. And when he said it is finished on the cross, he had paid the full price for your sin and mine, for any who would receive him as savior. And I don't have to walk around with that weight on me. I don't have to stay in the darkness. I can have light and life flood my life. And so Jesus finishes his, he is the radiance of God's glory, and he finishes this work. And then we read it in the testimony of his disciples in Matthew chapter 17, verse two. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. I love this. I want you to envision Jesus, he's God wrapped up in human flesh. And yet on the Mount of Transfiguration, what happens is, is that his earthly veil is peeled back for a moment. The earthly veil that makes him accessible to Chuck and to Ben and Joyce and to you and me, that, that makes us draw near to him and trust him because he's, the, he's a recognizable face. We, we, we could reach out and touch him, so to speak. That veil is pulled back for a moment and it is terrifying to his disciples. They fall on the ground and they hide themselves because the absolute glory of God bursts forth from that flesh and they see him in his true nature. That's a powerful, powerful testimony. The radiance of Jesus is the source of our redemption we read it in Hebrews 1.3, the radiance of the glory of God, and he sat down when he was done. He's the source of our redemption. And then if you'll look back with me to John chapter one, let's reference these verses real quickly. We'll read them together. Verse four, John one, verse four, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse nine, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and then verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, not only in this life, but also the life to come, Jesus is the source of light for all eternity. Look with me in the book of Revelation. Let's turn to the book of Revelation, the final book of our Bibles, and go almost to the end, to chapter 21. Chapter 21. We'll see that Jesus is literally the light that powers heaven. The new heaven, the new earth, all of this is gonna be powered by the light of the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. We will be in continuous worship because we will be in the temple of God himself for all eternity. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is who? The Lamb, and it's a capital L. It's speaking of Jesus, the Lamb of God. All right, now let's look at verse, or chapter 22, verse five. 
chapter 22, that's just right across the page there. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Even faced, though, with these truths of Jesus as our only true source of light and life, we're attracted to false or artificial sources of light. Let's be honest. How often are we lured by the glitz and the glamour and the flashing and the, uh, I have one here. Oh yeah. It happens to be a picture of my wife holding a niece in her arms. But, um, yeah, we're, we're trapped and, and contained in these things. Televisions, there are all sorts of artificial sources of light that attract us. It may be helpful for us, therefore, just to take a brief moment to consider a slightly technical understanding of artificial light, and I'm not gonna go deep into this, but I went online, I was doing a little research on artificial sources of light, and I found a very interesting website that was hosted by an organization called Tanuda. It's a, it's a Hebrew or an Israeli institution, Tanuda, and they are um, a center for information on non-ionizing radiation and its effects on public health. And on their site, they, they list these three sources. And for those of you like, like Brian Nussbaum and other people who are, who are uh, into and understand electricity, you'll understand this. The first one is incandescent or arc lamps. Number two are lamps based on discharge of gas. And thirdly, light-emitting diodes. Those are three main types of artificial light. And they went on to interestingly say this, artificial electric lighting completely transformed human life. It enabled activity after dark, changed the daily timetables of workers, and expanded the hours of leisure and social activity. It provided a tremendous impetus to improving and expanding sources of energy in view of the ever-increasing demand and consequently to the economic development of many countries on a global scale. Now, I don't know if any of you are like me, but I read that in a twisted sort of a fashion. <laughs> Maybe it's just how I'm made. There are obviously many benefits that we might count as good and helpful in this development of artificial light. I mean, we listed some of them there. However, might we consider that there are also many potential pitfalls and even distortions that have come from these sources? Now, I'm not suggesting that we return to primitive lifestyle. You know, like get rid of your electricity, let's cook over an open fire, and you know, we do away with all of the modern conveniences. None of us wanna go there. So I'm not suggesting that. But suffice have we disrupted and distorted God's rhythm of life? I want you to think about that carefully before you get a knee-jerk reaction against technology. Have we distorted and disrupted God's good rhythm of living? I don't know about you, 
but I can be far too enamored with technical things, causing me to waste a lot of time that could be spent meditating on God's truth, serving my neighbors, or even my wife. Staying up too late at night, getting trapped in all sorts of various distractions that come from these various artificial sources of light. If you're processing this within the truths given thus far in these two messages, you may quickly follow my understanding that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Now that's not human opinion. That's from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. So please, if you're watching on television, if you're hearing this, don't go out and say, Pastor Eric says we all ought to start living just like the Amish. We love our Amish communities around us. I am not, please don't go out and say that I'm anti-technology. There are lights on at my house. I have a television. I enjoy air conditioning. But this is worth giving some careful thought and analysis to. Not all of these sources of light are for our good. And they must be used and understood through the filter of the true light and life that is Jesus. There is no true light outside of Jesus. That's our second major point. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. If you find yourself getting a little bit edgy and angry or kind of like, oh, I'm done listening to this, it might be that you've been deceived. James chapter one, verses 16 and 17 says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is continuous. There are no power outages with God. He does not suffer as the people of Haiti who, by the way, are going through a terrible time the assassination of their president this last week, the critical wounding of his wife. Can you imagine the disruption in that country that's already spoiled its natural resources and people are starving and dying of illness and power outages all the time, so much so that our missionary that we, uh, that we sponsor and pray for and support, Daniel Telfort, we got him a solar panel system so that he can stay online to study and to do his translation work in scripture and to, and to be able to connect with his congregation. There are no power outages with God. It is pure, continuous, powerful light. Don't be deceived. To pursue light elsewhere is death. Would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 1? You don't have far to go if you're still in Revelation. 1 John chapter 1. We read some of these verses last week. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that, what does it say? God is light, 
and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, what does it say that we do? And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, this, by the way, is running to the light. This is getting out of the shadows, tired of carrying around your sickness, your shame, the weight, the terrible weight of sin, and you run into the light. If we confess our sins, he, not me, no priest, pastor, pope, no, him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. To pursue light elsewhere is death. Our third point is this. Christians are the light of the world. Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, not just Christians by intellect or by intellectual assent to this or by lineage or because we've grown up in a predominantly, at least historically, Judeo-Christian ethic in this country. No, we are Christians because We have been called by God, responded to that call in repentance and faith, and we have received the Lord Jesus as the answer for our sin as light and life. So those who who have done this are the light of the world. Now here's a principle of God's kingdom. In Matthew chapter five, familiar verses from the so-called Sermon on the Mount. In verse 14, you are the light of the world, he says to his disciples. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a light on a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's a kingdom principle. Familiar verses if you've been in church for any time. Now here's a principle of ambassadorship from 2 Corinthians, and if you'll turn there, chapter uh, five, 2 Corinthians chapter five. Lots of scripture today. Once again, I'll not apologize for that because it's not my opinion, it's what God has to say. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Let's look at it together as we read. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, the language being here that it is continuously being purged or cleansed out of us. Behold, the new has come. We increasingly grow in righteousness and sanctification. There's a verse that we'll read towards the end of this message from Proverbs 4 that talks about how the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter daily. So we we are becoming a new creation. The old, and certainly we are made a new creation. We are set as a new creation. We're not earning this salvation. 
We are placed in it. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? All right, do you know Jesus? Don't answer that question out loud, but do you know Jesus? If you have a resounding yes in your heart, you know it without question, then this is talking about you. This is not just talking about me. This is not just for the hired guns of ministry, vocational ministry. This is for every single one of you who know Christ as your savior. You are a minister of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, here's another description of you. You are an ambassador for Christ. Now, certainly, if these are things eternal, then that makes you and puts you in a higher position than a literal political ambassador to another nation on this globe. Those things will pass away. This kind of ministry will live forever. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a principle of ambassadorship. And it's related to Matthew 5, 14 through 16. We are light bearers. Listen, let me make this again very simple and clear. There are no shadows with this. There's no subjectivity. It is an objective truth. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are filled with light and life from the source. That light and life does not coexist with darkness. The world is in darkness. If you're not shining, you don't have the source in you. How can we say that we have the source of light in us and we don't shine out this reconciling ministry to other people? Now, I know what's going through your minds. There are people that are gonna argue we don't all have the gift of evangelism. And by the way, evangelism is not a gift. Not really. All of us, if we have the source inside of us. Now, you could argue with me on that point. I'm not gonna get into that. But what I'm saying is this. Every single one of us is called to be an evangelist. We just don't all evangelize the same way. My wife told me, I said, she mowed the grass yesterday while I was working on my sermon. And I said, I can't believe how fast you get it done. And what did you say to me? (laughs) I don't stop to talk to all the neighbors. (laughs) Now... That's one of my methods. She has her own methods, which I hear about all the time, but they're done more quietly, one-on-one, in some of these jobs that she's working, and she's building relationships and sharing it in a different way. Now, are we the prime examples of evangelists, of ambassadors? No. But what I'm saying is, we all have a different way of sharing this truth. Are you sharing truth? Is light shining out of you? It doesn't make sense if it's not and you say you know Jesus. Don't call him a liar. 
My brother Kirk, when he came to Christ as a teenager, he went off to a camp with some friends that he was in school with at Worcester High School. Kirk was a basketball player. He's now long-time, lifetime vocational minister, currently the chaplain at Westview Healthy Living and also the uh, associate pastor, family life pastor at North Winds in West Salem. So Kirk's, Kirk's been an effective minister all of his adult life. And I can re- I, I'll never forget the, pl- the pleasant shock and surprise I received when I talked to his former uh, algebra teacher. When she told me, she was my algebra teacher too, by the way. I, I, I almost miserably failed algebra. <clears throat> And she, she said, yeah, she said, I'll, I'll never forget you Fairhurst boys. She said, your brother Kirk, he stood up in my class one day and gave a testimony of salvation to the entire algebra class in front of the, of the whole algebra class. He shared his faith with the basketball team, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But today there are people who are in the ministry who Kirk led to Christ while they were in high school. And they're still, and that, I can think of one particular individual who's out planting churches in the Columbus area. What a joy. Faithful ambassador. See, there was a compulsion inside of him. He couldn't keep it in. Do you feel that same way, that there's a compulsion in you and it almost hurts, it makes you feel sick when you don't share this light and this life? We may, some of us, be tempted to think that this is radical and not for the average Christ follower, that this is for people who are paid to do this kind of thing. But this kind of thinking is another of Satan's distortions. We all ought to be like that woman at the well whose life was flooded with light and life and she ecstatically, immediately ran off to tell others. Is this what we're doing? Is this how we're living? I guarantee you it will transform your life. It will give you so much more sense of purpose and joy. And it will build the kingdom of God and we will see this church growing and bursting at the seams. You will never know such fruitfulness when you live this light and life out. Christian life is defined and expressed in light. And this is our final point. We possess the light of God given us through Christ. This light cannot be hidden, but constantly seeks to shine. This is expressed in countless and varied ways in and through Christ's body. Uh, and I referenced this in a message in May that I preached when I, taught, when I, I, I preached from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the body life. Interestingly enough, enough, as I was listening to Alistair Begg preach his weekend message this morning in my, in my morning preparations, he said something. He said, I stand up here and I look about out across this crowd. There's 1,500 people that were attending Parkside at that time uh, before COVID. And I'm looking out at uh, three to 400 people here. And he said, is, he said, why is it that we struggle to get discipleship programs going in this church? Why is it so hard for us to envision and carry out real discipleship within the body of Christ? He said, it's because there's a lot of people sitting out there looking at me like I'm the one who's supposed to do it. And while we are equippers of the saints by mandate, you are the equipped. And that means you're called to make disciples. In fact, it's mandated in Scripture. Go into all the world to preach the Gospels. Make disciples. 
That's what we do. We should love people who are far from God. Are you building relationships with people who are far from God? Are, is, is the light and the life of Jesus bursting forth out of you in conversation and in acts of service and love? Are you looking for opportunities and praying for divine appointments? Christians are children of light. Now, you'll want to jot this down. We don't have time to do it right now, but jot down Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. And there, I want you to read and do a little bit of homework on how we are children of light if we know Jesus. Now, let me go on and say this. It is incongruous. In other words, it is not harmonious. It is incompatible for the Christian to walk in darkness. It is incongruous for the Christian to walk in darkness. Read with me, Ephesians 4. Now this I say, read it aloud, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Notice now in these verses the various references to darkness contrasted with light. Romans chapter 13, 12, I'll read it. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Let's read 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 8 together. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And finally, let's read 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you are a Christian, your life is defined by light and life period. These cannot be hidden, but will rather constantly seek ways to express glory to God and true life to those in this world. You know, I began, because I'm a musician, I began to look for a hymn again this week that expressed this best, and I came upon this chorus that was written by Graham Kendrick a number of years ago. Lord, the light of your love is shining. In the midst of the darkness shining, Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us. Set us free by the truth you now bring us. Shine on me, shine on me. Second verse, Lord, I come to your awesome presence from the shadows into your radiance. By the blood I may enter your brightness. Search me, try me, consume all my darkness. Shine on me, shine on me. Now, would you sing this third verse verse with me? Stand together with me. 
As we gaze on your kingly brightness, so our faces display your likeness, ever changing from glory to glory. Mirrored here, may our lives tell your story. Shine on me. Shine on me. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze, Spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Flow, river, flow. Flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word, Lord, and let there be light. Amen. Brothers and sisters, remember this admonition to the character and conversation of our lives. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. And for those of you uncertain about your relationship to the light, receive this admonition from Jesus as a closing. In John chapter 12, I came across this in my morning devotions today. Verses 35 and 6. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And finally in verse 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. That is the invitation to you. Some light is shining on you today. Is it getting inside of you? Are the windows of your soul being flung open? Are you opening the door to the call of Jesus? Receive him. Say yes to him because he is calling you. And don't wait. And let that life flood into your life. I don't care how shameful things have been. I don't care who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. This promise is for you. The light is for you. Are you hearing it? Will you receive it? Say yes to it and walk in it and let other people see it and rejoice in it as well, just like that woman at the well. Let's pray. Father, we are so honored that you would shine your light into this dark world. We who have been so sinful and rebellious since our creation, we have spit in your eye. We have, we have torn up your good creation. We have dishonored these bodies that you have given us. We have thrown things into a distorted mess. Lord God, speak into the darkness once again. The light is walking among us, among us. But Lord, for some of us, it may be for only a short moment that your providence and your grace is shining into our lives. May we see it, may we recognize it, may we receive it and walk in it and share it with others. Oh God, 
transform our lives, transform this church, transform our families, transform our community and the world through us because our light shines so brightly. The light of Jesus who makes the darkness tremble. For it's in his name we pray, amen. God bless you.